0: You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. John 6, verses 16-24 When evening came, His disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus.
1: Thank you, Peter. Well, we're blessed to have a guest speaker with us this morning who I got to know last year in Denmark. We had a global YMCA Christian Mission Conference, and that's where in the cafeteria between sessions I got to meet Fritz Fundelek. And so I want to share with you just a brief biographical sketch of who Fritz is, and then he's going to open the word with us and teach on this passage. Fritz is a South African based in Cape Town. Has anybody been to Cape Town? No. All right. Well, we're putting it on the bucket list. He works there as the CEO of the University of Cape Town YMCA, and he thoroughly enjoys working at the intersection of three powerful platforms, the YMCA, the public university, and the church. The UCTY is a transformative community that seeks to have faith-infused conversations about learning and life at the heart of Africa's premier research university. After an undergraduate degree in economics, his academic interest shifted to missiology and public theology. He completed his master's here at Wheaton College near Chicago, and he is an ordained minister. He's also been profoundly shaped by several formative learning experiences in other parts of the world, which makes me think of our German mission team, notably for Fritz, Argentina, Jerusalem and Palestine, and Uganda. He's deeply concerned to connect the dots between his work at the UCTY and the alleviation of poverty in South Africa. Fritz is married to Dr. Chalidzi Fundalek, an ophthalmologist and researcher. And there would have been a time in the not so distant past of South Africa that their interracial marriage would have been inconceivable, making him all the more grateful for Chili and their two beautiful daughters. Their home church is called Jubilee in Cape Town, where Fritz enjoys serving on the kids' ministry team, teaching Sunday school to the four-year-olds. So would you give a Y Church welcome to Fritz with us this morning? Good morning, Y
2: Church. I am shocked that none of you have been to Cape Town. Terrible! Terrible! What are you doing with your holidays? <laughs> Let me just put a plug in. I don't work for Cape Town Tourism, but it's a wonderful destination. The flight might be a bit expensive and a bit long, 15 hours from Newark uh, International Airport to Cape Town, but it will be well worth it. And you get a lot of bang for your buck. The dollar is strong. Okay, so come consider visiting uh, the southern tip of Africa. It's a wonderful wonderful place. Let me just open up here. So it really is a great pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much Bjorn and Esther for inviting me to fellowship with you this morning. And it's particularly special because it's the Y Church. It's a church within the YMCA. So I'm an executive director of a local YMCA at the university. That's my ministry context. So it is particularly special to be with all of you. Here this morning, I believe you've been doing a series in John's Gospel, so I'm going to pick up and just talk about a little slice out of the Gospel, um, the story that has just been read for us, so you can open your Bibles and keep it open at John chapter 6, the passage that has been read for us. What a wonderful thing that when we are in Christ, um, we are one, we are united in our faith. Um, whether we come from Africa or Czechoslovakia or Germany or over here in Minnesota. It's a wonderful thing that we are part of this vast international body of Christ. So it's a pleasure to stand here before you. Just to orientate us where we are in this chapter, the first five chapters, I'm not sure where you started, but in the first five chapters, we discover very important pieces of teaching given by Christ himself about his identity and also his authority. And in the section just before the one that we're looking at today, we see a miraculous display of Christ's power in the feeding of the 5,000. We're about to move into John chapter 6, or we are in John chapter 6, and there's another important section of teaching coming up after this little passage called the Bread of Life Discourse. So, sandwiched between the feeding of the 5,000 and the Bread of Life discourse, these important pieces of teaching, you've got this little story, five to six verses. Um, It's not really elaborated on, but I do think it has some rich insights for us this morning, so we'll look at that. It's also interesting to note that two other Gospels record this story. So the same little account also appears in Matthew's gospel, chapter 14 to be exact, and Mark's gospel in chapter 6. So if you want to, you can keep your fingers if you want to follow along in Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6. I'll be referencing from all three of these stories. I actually, in my preparation, I printed it out. I've been working off all three stories, so if I'm saying something that you don't see immediately in John's Gospel, it's probably there in either Matthew or Mark, so just a bit of a disclaimer there. Let's set the scene. If you take these three parallel accounts that really make their own contribution each, we come up with a scenario or a scene that can be summed up as follows. After the feeding of the 5,000, the Lord Jesus tells the disciples to go on ahead of Him, to cross the sea of Tiberias to the other side, to Capernaum. The Lord Jesus then stays behind um, to dismiss the crowd, the crowd that had gathered, and He just fed them, so it's a big crowd. And then He proceeded up a hill to go and pray. While praying on the sea, The rowers, or the disciples, were encountering severe weather. They were encountering rough weather and a storm. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus comes out to them walking on the water. The men in the boat don't recognize him at first, so they totally freak out. They start screaming, and they think it is a ghost. So they're completely petrified until the Lord Jesus opens his mouth and speaks. And at the recognition of his voice, their troubled hearts calm down. At that point, we read in Matthew's account, Peter decides he's going to do a trip over the side of the boat. He steps out of the boat. He walks towards Jesus. He starts sinking. Jesus catches him, and the two of them get on board the vessel. And as soon as Christ Jesus is on the boat, the wind dies down, the waves get stilled, and as John says, they were immediately at their port of their destination. So there's peace, there's calm, there's amazement, and there's worship. That essentially is the story that we're dealing with this morning. So I think it's worth asking, you know, you've got these major sections of teaching. Why on earth has God the Spirit left this little account for us? Why was it included in John's Gospel? And I believe it gives us one of the clearest pictures of those who follow the Lord Jesus in the midst of a crisis, and a crisis not of their own making Maybe I'll just say that again. I think it gives us a very clear picture of those who follow the Lord Jesus in the midst of a crisis which they themselves never created. Now, I don't know any of you. Um, I'm not sure what space you're in as you enter this worship service this morning. You may have struggled to sing the songs or you may have sung the songs, but somehow deep inside... You just don't feel it. The words are rattling in your head. You're going through the motions, but the words are not gripping your heart because you've maybe you've come out of a very intense period in your life or maybe a very intense week, not sure what you encountered this week, either spiritually or physically in the realm of family life perhaps or your work situation or schooling, whatever it might be, And I want you to take heart this morning because this passage has been left in Scripture for you, for your encouragement. What I will be doing is just picking up on a bit of a progression in the story, and I'll I'll lead you through it. And the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus sends the disciples across the lake. It's a little bit more forceful in Matthew and Mark's accounts, And we read in both of those, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. So Jesus tells them, just as he told them to sit the 5,000 down and feed them. And they responded, and they sat the people down, and that story unfolded. But Jesus tells them, and they go. Now we're not sure, or we're not told, why Jesus dismisses his disciples, why he sends them on ahead of himself. I think verse 15, if you look at verse 15 in in this John 6, may give us a clue where we read Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So Jesus was very well aware. He knew the hearts of the men and women in the crowd that they were trying to make him king by force. But he also knew his disciples' hearts, that though they had spent significant time with him, they didn't quite click and understand everything, and they weren't immune to wrong ideas about messianic expectations. So maybe, knowing the hearts of the crowd, the people in the crowd, knowing his disciples' hearts, he thought to send them on so that he can deal with the throng by himself. That's a possibility. A very likely um, reason is also that He simply wanted and needed time alone, to spend time alone in prayer with His Father, which He then ends up doing. He doesn't tell us, and it doesn't appear to tell the disciples. But the point not to miss here is that they obeyed Him instantly. He sends them off, and I think verse 16 and 17, there is a clear description of the disciples' obedience. Jesus said, get in the boat and go. And they got into the boat and they went. I think there's something interesting there for us to think about this morning. As we read our Bibles, all throughout, faith and obedience go hand in hand. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. Discoveries along the path of faith are often discoveries made in the place of Of obedience. We read in Hebrews 11 verse 8, by faith, by faith Abram, when called to go to a place he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abram was moving on the path of faith, and obedience, in spite of not knowing the outcome, was critical. So I'm not sure about you this morning. I'm not sure if God has been speaking to you about something in the path of obedience recently, and you've given Him all your best answers. I think what the Lord wants you to hear this morning is, will you do what I'm asking you? Will you obey me? Will you follow me? Right, in verse 17, darkness falls. It's getting dark, and... One can gloss over that, but I think this little word dark is significant in the context of this little passage, in the context of a storm that's brooding and of Jesus walking on the water. Because remember, the Gospel of John starts in verse 5, and it says, "...the light shines into the darkness." See, our world is in a state of darkness. Intellectual darkness, spiritual darkness, moral darkness. But John announces, he starts his gospel by announcing the good news that Jesus Christ, the true light that gives light to everyone, has come into this world. So I think this passage shows us what happens when we in the midst of our darkness, even today, have a genuine encounter with God the light. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. So, verse 18, the storm arrives, strong winds blowing, the waters grew rough. Apparently, the Sea of Tiberias, the body of water that they're on, is situated about 700 feet below the Mediterranean Sea, and it was well known for very sudden storms and very intense storms as the winds whip off in the Golan Heights. So an intense storm starts forming, and we are told in verse 19 that the disciples were rowing for a long time, three to four miles, and eventually around the fourth watch of the night, so it's probably around 3 to 6 a.m., so it's dark, it's deep into the morning. And they've been out there much longer than they ever intended. And things were getting much tougher than they ever expected. And Matthew says that the boat was being buffeted by the winds and the water. Mark adds that line, they were straining at the oars. You guys have got a lot of lakes around you, so I don't think I need to unpack this. Okay, just imagine one of your lakes and straining at the oars. Now, let me pause there for a moment and try to apply that. And I told Bjorn, oh my goodness, this might be pure allegory, but I'm not sure. But I do believe that we have a picture here of the believer on the sea of life. Navigating the chaos and the storms of our lives in a fallen world. And notice they were in this situation, as I said earlier on, because they were obedient. Not because they were disobedient. One could say that they were in the storm according to divine appointment. And I do think there's a lesson in that for us today, believers, this morning. That even though we are in Christ, and even though we are seeking to follow Christ, all the storms are not in our past. And the storms that are in our present cannot be explained in terms of things that we have done ourselves. Cannot be explained in terms of disobedience or rebellion. Some lessons in life, some lessons as we follow Christ Jesus will never be learned when it is smooth sailing. I don't know if you have that saying here in America when it is smooth sailing or on the ponds of tranquility. Some lessons will only be learned in rough storms, in the rough storms that we find ourselves in, because you have sought to be obedient. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Interesting, I felt this very acutely. I'll give you an example. As I was preparing for this trip, it was actually not too long ago, it was last week, and working on this message, we got the very, very sad news, and you touched on it in your blessing to mothers, that very good friends of ours, close friends, lost their baby boy three weeks before he was due. And the memorial was yesterday in Cape Town. My wife attended. And on the invitation to memorial, it's, uh, they said, This exciting moment of pregnancy have now turned to heartfelt loss at the passing of our baby boy, Damien Clutter, on Friday 5 May. We will turn to the Lord with our hearts, seeking his comfort at a memorial service on on." on, on. Isn't that a perfect example of a godly couple? I mean, these people are Christ Lord, God-fearing pastoral couple, and all of a sudden they find themselves in the midst of a terrible storm that was not their own making. Where is Jesus in this storm? Well, let's continue with the story. So, so Jesus sends them, but you'll notice there that he also saw them. It doesn't come out that clearly in John's gospel. In John um, verse 19 in your passage there, they saw Jesus approaching the boat. But actually Mark's gospel in chapter 6 verse 48, there's a wonderful statement that long before they saw Jesus, Jesus actually saw them. Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oar. And I love that perspective. And I think there's encouragement in that for us this morning and for my friends, the Clutters in Cape Town. That they were straining at the oars in the darkness, and while Jesus was out of their sight, they were not out of his sight. From a human perspective, they were alone and in real danger. But from the vantage point of heaven, they were perfectly safe. And we must remember that when the storms hit us. Not sure what storm you're going through now. Is that we have a great high priest. A great high priest who intercedes for us, on our behalf, with the Father. So that we might endure the storms of life and be strengthened in the midst of those storms. So the progression continues. It comes out clearly in Mark that not only did Jesus send His disciples, He now sees His disciples, and then He comes to His disciples. Verse 19. Now, understand, these guys are fishermen, okay? I'm sure many of you, I'm not a fisherman. Many of you must be fishermen. They're not unfamiliar with lakes and storms. I don't think the storm... Itself was a major concern to them. There was something else that caused them to scream, scream and thinking it was a ghost. Something else freaked them out. So these guys were in their boat. They were trying their best to keep this boat on course. And suddenly in the ensuing darkness, a figure comes towards them on the water. And this figure was not buffeted by the wind and the weather. No. He walked clean through all of the elements. He's not only walking through the elements that came down on him, but he was walking on top of the elements that the boat was resting on. And these guys were rightly freaked out. And Matthew records for us uh, what they were screaming. They're screaming, Ghost! Okay? they didn't recognize him. I can't help to think back to the Genesis, the creation saga. Brooding waters, the Spirit hovering over the waters. Genesis 1 verse 2, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So here are the disciples now in a boat, in the darkness, in the midst of chaos, with darkness threatening, and there is also someone with power over these elements, power over the threat, power over the chaos, but they don't recognize him, they think he's a ghost, and fast forward in John's 14, made me think of John 14, verse 18, when Jesus says, I will not leave you. I will come to you. And as surely as Jesus came to those troubled disciples in that storm, He comes to us this morning as well. By His Spirit, in the storms that we are facing ourselves. So, The progression continues. He sent them, verse 20, he sent them, he saw them, he comes to them, and then lastly he speaks to them. And he says to them, take courage, verse 20, it is I, don't be afraid. So if there was any doubt who this figure was, Jesus opening his mouth with this simple statement, clears it up immediately. The NIV translates it as, it is I. I think it's a little bit too cautious, that translation. No, this person, who turns out to be Jesus Christ, says, I am. And immediately that should jot an Old Testament memory to Exodus, isn't it? This is the same voice that Moses hears in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. The Lord Jesus is declaring and revealing his full eternal divinity. The one who transcends creation, the one who transcends the chaos of our world, and yet is present to it. It is the name that, when spoken into Moses and Israel's life, it allowed them to transcend their own situation of slavery. I am. So, dear brothers and sisters, what is this text telling us this morning? I think it clearly says to you and me today, on the 14th of May, where you find yourselves that there is one who is walking in the midst of the storms of life. The storm that is life. I mean, whose life is not stormy at times. Life is stormy in a fallen world. And he is hovering over the waters even now. And his name is the great I Am. He is the light that has come into the world, and He has sent you, follower of Christ, He has sent you, believer. He sees you where you are. He comes to you precisely where you are, and He speaks to you where you are, and He says, do not be afraid. The scene concludes, in verse 21, with the disciples willingly receiving Jesus into the boat. And immediately, the stormy sea fades and the calm settles. So as we've listened to this little story wedged between the two big passages of teaching as we've listened to the Scriptures together this morning, my prayer for you is that you have heard the voice of Christ this morning above the clamor of your troubled hearts, whatever may be troubling you, and above the babble of the many voices around you, and that you would put your faith in Him that you would trust him, the Almighty Lord Jesus, by obediently following him in the midst of the inevitable chaos and storms of this fallen world of ours. And he will safely lead you across, the, as the hymn says, across the oceans wide until at last you reach your heavenly harbour. So we pray? Our Heavenly Father, may Your Spirit take the truth of Your Word and bring it to our hearts in a way that is helpful, encouraging, and strengthening to our faith. For how we thank You, Lord Jesus, for all the struggles and storms of life which you endured, people spat on you and cursed your name. Those closest to you denied even knowing you. Cruel men forced a crown of thorns on your head as they mocked you in your agony. There will never be such a storm for any one of us. And yet we thank you, Lord Jesus, That as our High Priest, you are not removed from us, but you are touched by what we suffer and what we endure in this desperately broken world into which you have sent us. Thank you that you see us, that you are always with us, and that you speak to us through your word. Give us the wisdom. And the willingness to welcome you on board our lives. Not to some remote corner of the vessel, but to the wheel, to the bridge, to the place of authority and of control. Come to the storms of our lives today. We pray and speak peace. For Jesus' sake we ask. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.